We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in everyone to a new episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. With me always is Justin Mello back from a mini hiatus break. We kind of had a bye week. I mean, we still had an episode last week and an episode this week, but we're back to our regularly scheduled programming now for the rest of the season. What's up, Justin? I'm doing well, man. You said it. It felt like we were off, right? I don't know why, because as you said, we released an episode last week where we had the recap of the Washington Commanders game, but then we didn't have a preview episode, of course, because the Titans were on a bye. And as we come to you now, we didn't have a recap episode because the Titans were on a bye. And now we've got a preview episode, but it's a big preview episode. We're going against the Indianapolis Colts here. It's a massive game that can swing the pendulum here in the AFC South. And we have a fantastic guest to help to help us bring it home. That is so true. It's really a shame. I mean, we talked about it all offseason ever since the schedule came out, but it's really a shame that this is a Week 7 game, the final matchup between the teams that are vying for the AFC South crown. Obviously, Jacksonville got off to a hot start this year, but they've, you know, at 2-4 and now, kind of shown themselves to be more in a building stage than a really competitive stage of their team building in the first year of Doug Peterson. So this is probably going to come down to Titans-Colts again, which makes this week's matchup so big for the rest of the season to give the Titans a leg up in the South. I'd love to know what the schedule makers were thinking when they scheduled, because typically speaking that week 18, week 18, now it's week 18, right? A lot of divisional games. You try to pit two teams against each other that are going to be in contention for the division. Did they not think this thing was going to come down to Titans Colts? I don't know, because you got Titans playing the Jaguars in Week 18 and Colts playing the Texans in Week 18, so that's very interesting. But you know what else is interesting about what the schedule makers did? This is the Colts' seventh game of the season, obviously Week 7, no buy yet. This is their fifth division game that's in the first crazy. seven weeks. That is wild. They I will play it was their fourth. I didn't realize it's their yeah. They've already played Texans, Jags, twice. yeah, geez. Titans week four, Jags, Titans. They played the Chiefs and the Broncos uh, around the Titans game. They don't play so another they don't division have another game. One. Until week 18 yeah. against the Texans. It's, Jeez, it's wild. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, before we get to our guest, Stephen Holder, do you want to talk about some Titans news? We got a couple guys added to the practice squad that I think you're familiar with and some a big announcement from the city of Nashville. Let's start with the guys the Titans recently added. You broke the news on this one. Uh, what have you got for us? Yeah, as I reported earlier on Tuesday, Titans signed cornerback Kyron Brown to their practice squad. Uh, as a guy that played collegially at Akron, uh, entered the league as an undrafted free agent back in 2019 with the New York Jets, was most recently with the Dallas Cowboys, was waived injured um, at one point earlier by the Cowboys this, uh, this preseason, I believe it was. So uh, he's obviously healthy now. The Titans worked him out like what they saw, decided to add him to their practice squad. That wasn't the only player he added to the practice squad. In fact, it wasn't the only defensive back. They also signed Steven Parker to the practice squad, and they waived DB Nate Brooks from the practice squad. So a bit of churning, all three moves uh, to do with the secondary, the defensive backfield. You know 
Uh, the Titans love their safeties this year. They love their defensive backs. In fact, that's not the only move um, they made earlier this week. They also signed, and I, I expect you to hit me with a hook em here at some point. Uh, they signed safety Josh Thompson to their 53-man roster. He was on Jacksonville's practice squad. So Titans familiar with him, of course, within the division. As the new rules indicate, Jacksonville's not allowed to block that from happening. Tennessee just poached them from the practice squad because they added them to their 53. In a corresponding move, they placed Ola Adaini on IR. So they won't have Ola Adaini for the next four games. He's been dealing with an ongoing neck issue. He's missed multiple games. He's been limited in others. Uh, that tells you the Titans aren't worried about their pass rush. And I'll wrap this up quickly because for them to add a safety uh, instead of, a, you know, a replace Ola Adaini with the safety, they're obviously not concerned with their pass rush. They expect to have Bud Dupree back this week. That tells you they wanted to replace uh, with Ola Adaini, gives them on special teams, right? They went out right. and got a special teams guy in safety, Josh Thompson. Yeah, Thompson was a playmaker for the Texas secondary when he was there. Um, like most Texas DBs, he sort of faded into obscurity at the NFL level <laughs> and has been a practice squad guy his whole career. So we'll see if the, he can do anything for the Titans. I wonder if he'll even uh, play in this game, if he'll make the inactive list or what. We'll see how that goes. All right, the Titans have parted ways with Josh Gordon. He spent the most of the season on the practice squad. He was elevated to the active roster twice on game day. He barely did anything. I can't even remember if he had a target. Did he even have a target? I think he had like two targets, but zero catches. Didn't make a single catch. Uh, they opted to uh, elevate Des Fitzpatrick ahead of him for the last game against the Commanders. Writing was kind of on the wall for Josh Gordon right there, right? When he didn't get a third opportunity. Obviously, a lot of fans were rooting for him. His story has been well known, um, you know, around the league. They were honest, right? Mike Vrabel just flat out said, we didn't see enough from him. I can't say I'm ultimately shocked as good of a story as it would have been. This is sort of what I expected, right? He had that one great season nine years ago when it's been <laughs> nine years. That's a long time. Titans just flat out cut him from the practice squad and signed another receiver, a local guy, right? CJ board, who I believe was born in Clarksville, uh, Tennessee played at Chattanooga. Um, so a lot of local ties to the area spent time with the New York giants. Most recently uh, Titans just flat out, cut Gordon and went with another veteran journeyman. So it, it really tells you what they felt about Gordon and, and, and what he lacks at, at this point in his career. Yeah. So the Titans receiver is still lacking until Traylon Burks gets back. We'll see if anything materializes on the trade market. I myself would be kind of surprised if that did happen, but would never put it past J-Rob. He has traded for midseason guys to uh, help out hurting positions before, like Desmond King comes to mind. Um, so we'll see if anything happens there. But all right, one last bit of news to get to here. Some exciting news. The Titans and the city of Nashville together with Mayor John Cooper announced plans for a new stadium. This has been rumblings going on since earlier this early, early this year. But we now have official word that the stadium will be happening. They are expected to break ground in the building process next fall. They still need to get green-lighted by the, um, you know, the city council and everything has to approve this process. Hoping to do that by the end of the year, but it's going to be a big stadium. It's going to be an enclosed stadium, so you're looking likely for a dome. Um, no word yet if that will be retractable, although people are speculating that it will not be a retractable thing, but will still have an open feel. They have uh, pointed to Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas as a uh, sort of an example of what the architecture could look like. They're using the all same architecture too, right? All that grass right. that's incorporated to give you that outdoor feel. Exactly. They're, they're using the same firm that designed that stadium. Uh, and uh, Burke Nile, who is the president of the Titans said that 
Um, there won't be a bad seat in the house. They're expecting it to seat 55 to 60,000 people. Most likely will be playing on a turf field, which some people have mixed feelings about. And the goal is to open this stadium for 2026, where they will host Titans games, obviously. Tennessee State University can use it for games. They will hope to get a Super Bowl in Nashville, a Final Four in Nashville, and for it to become one of the premier concert venues in the area. So lots to be excited about with this new Titans stadium. It's going to happen right next to the current stadium, which is kind of interesting and cool and will be uh, quite an eyesore for the next four years. But hey, that's uh, for the people who live there to worry about, not you and me. Um, And who knows how that's going to affect parking at the stadium for the next three to four years. But another interesting component here, I know a lot of PSL holders were concerned that they would lose out on the PSLs they've held for 23 years since the uh, LP Field originally opened, or I guess, sorry, Adelphia Coliseum originally opened and then became LP Field. And then became LP Field and then became Nissan Stadium. Um, No word yet on whether this new stadium will have Coliseum in the name. We can only (laughs) hope that it will. Um, But the PSL holders will be getting a full credit for the value that their PSL was worth at the time that they bought it that can be applied to a PSL in the new stadium. So good news all around. This is pretty exciting. Um, Fun note, 19 teams have built stadiums since the Titans built this one. Uh, wow. in 1999. So it's time for a refresh here. Um, a lot of logistical, political stuff going on with this. The the city owed the Titans this lease on the stadium through like the 2030 something. And getting out of this lease will allow them to put money back into things that are more of a priority, like healthcare and education. And uh, the the Citizens of Nashville will not be funding this stadium. It will come from the state, from tourism, from other sources that so basically people's wallets are not affected. The citizens of Nashville are not affected financially in a negative way, could bring more tourism to the city and obviously raise economic benefits in that regard. Overall, pretty cool. Titans are going to be the next NFL team to open a new stadium and it will take four years. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. Um, I think you, I haven't been disappointed by any of these new stadiums around the league, right? Like a Legion stadium is phenomenal. SoFi is excellent. The house Jerry Jones built there is incredible. Like there are so many amazing stadiums around the new, the new Viking stadium is super cool too. The Viking stadium as well. Uh, I'm really excited to see how this thing turns out. Uh, I have a couple of qualms. Like I would have liked to see in a retractable roof again, heavy rumors. That won't be the case. We all hate turf. I'm a big anti-turf guy. We're always tweeting about all the injuries that happened at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, Titans have been impacted by that a lot. Turf is terrible. By all, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's bad for athletes. It's bad for football players. Um, and the NFLPA, by the way, is trying to outlaw it. They want stadiums to implement grass, all of them. You look at the way Arizona does it, by the way, in State Farm Stadium. You can over, head over to YouTube and watch how they implement having real grass in a dome stadium. It's really interesting. I watched it the other night. So it is a possibility. And maybe by the time this thing opens, the NFLPA could have won that battle. Titans right. might have to pivot, right? And, and go to real grass if they're planning on turf. But other than those minor qualms, I'm really excited about this thing. I think it's going to be state of the art. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to visit it. I, you know, God willing, I plan to be there the first year it opens. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, and I don't think I'll catch a lot of flack for this. When I was 18 years old, we're going quite, you know, a little bit back. First Titans <laughs> game I ever attended in Nashville. I was super excited. And as our listeners know, 
I'm Canadian, right? I'm from Toronto. Don't have an NFL team here. I live in an amazing city. It's a big city. We've got lots of professional sports. Great city, but we don't have an NFL team. When I was going to Nissan Stadium for the first time, there's just something different about the NFL, right? You know, NHL games, NBA games. We've got state-of-the-art facilities here in Toronto, but those stadiums hold hold what? 20,000, right? 25,000 or so? Right. So this is going to be my first NFL experience. I'm I'm expecting to be blown away. There's going to be 60,000 people in the stands. I will admit I was fairly disappointed with Nissan stadium. Like it did not meet my expectations. Maybe I, you know, I had this picture in my head of what an NFL stadium. I had, I had only ever been to Buffalo at that point and that stadium's an eyesore, right? It's terrible. Uh, This is again, this is about going back about 14, 15 years. Uh, So I was so excited to go to Nashville. I'll admit that Nissan stadium kind of fell short of my expectations. I was like, eh, it's okay. You know what I mean? That's (laughs) kind of how I feel about it. And I, I think the new one is going to kick ass. Yeah, so super exciting news there. And uh, I think that does it for the news in general. Let us move on to our game preview. We're going to welcome in our guest, Stephen Holder, the Colts re- reporter for ESPN. But first, let's remind everyone to visit the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville with our worst matchup of the week. If you're new to the show, the worst matchup is not worst, W-O-R-S-T. It's worst like a sausage, like a brat, worst, W-U-R-S-T, as in the amazing worsts you can find only at the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. And our worst matchup of this week, I'm curious where you're going to go with this because we haven't discussed this in advance like we usually do. (laughs) But I'm going to go... I'm going to stick with the same theme that we covered the last time the Titans had a game, and that is interior offensive line going up against the likes of DeForest Buckner and company on the Colts defensive line. We'll see, and we'll talk about this after the break, if the Colts, if the, sorry, if the Titans make a change at left tackle, um, that could have an impact on how this matchup unfolds. But for me, DeForest Buckner matching up with Aaron Brewer and even Nate Davis, assuming Nate Davis is back for this game, not the most enticing thing for the Titans. If they do get, if the Colts have Quiddy payback for this game, him going up against, if it's Dennis Daly, if it's Dylan Radens, if it's LaRaven Clark, if it's Nicholas Petit Frere, I mean, those are not good matchups for the Titans. So I would consider that to be the worst matchup of the week. Yeah, our listeners are, are going to get tired of the worst matchup of the week segment by the end of the year because we're probably going to focus on Dennis Deli and, and Aaron Brewer the entire season, right? Who right. are we kidding? But <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I was going to go with Buckner versus Brewer specifically, right? I think Brewer, of course, you know, the, the weight issues, you know, r- right around or under 300 pounds, the short arms, interior pass rushers like the Forrest Buckner who are long, strong, powerful. They give them fits. It's a, it's a kind of similar to what we said about Jonathan Allen against Aaron Brewer a few weeks ago. Yep. We hit that nail on the head, right? John Allen was terrific in that game. So for me, that's my worst matchup of the week. I'm going specifically with DeForest Buckner against Aaron Brewer. And to get the best worst of the week, head over to the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in East Nashville. Thanks to them for sponsoring this segment. All right, let's get to our guest. He is the Colts reporter for ESPN. He's been on the show before. We're excited to have him back. Stephen Holder, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Um, looking forward to hopefully an interesting game. Yeah, it's probably the game of the week, honestly, looking at the, the NFL schedule, which you don't often say that about the Titans, but hey, here we are. Yeah, I mean, look, the AFC South is good for a, an important game every blue moon, I guess. So uh, let's take it while we can get it. Right. No no doubt, Stephen. We're going to get right into it. Uh, you know, analyzing the, the Colts' performance against Jacksonville last week, 
Talk about a shift in offensive approach, right? Matt Ryan completes 42 of 58 passing attempts, uh, 389 yards, three touchdowns, perhaps more importantly for him, zero turnovers, right? Didn't fumble the ball, no interceptions, played a clean game, was a big win against Jacksonville. Was this a new theme emerging with how pass happy they were? Or do you think this was a bit of a reaction to being without Jonathan Taylor? So that's the million dollar question. And, and I don't, I admit, I don't have the answer. Uh, I have thoughts. I, I actually thought that they would go a little heavier on the pass in the previous week, right? Because they knew going into Denver that Jonathan Taylor was going to be out. I, I can only assume that, that they thought uh, w- with the, the combination of uh, Denver secondary and, and perhaps uh, with having Naheem Hines in the lineup that they could, you know, perhaps still, you know, be a little bit of a run first team. Of course, Hines goes down on the very first series. They lose him to a concussion. So I, I really feel like the, the week five game plan just kind of just fell apart, honestly, right from the beginning because of that. And then you pu- couple that with the the offensive line, just, you know, absolute disaster. Uh, they, they really had no concerted plan, it looked like, <laughs> or no viable plan. So anyway... Right. To, to week six, I, I think they realized they had to do something dramatic. And I understand why the Colts were a little stubborn about the running game because it's been really good. I, I totally understand that. And I've been trying to kind of communicate that to the fans. Like, I think the criticism is fair. Like, they, they've been a little stubborn, but I also get it. You know, when that's been your bread and butter for three or four years and, and you've blocked it very well, and successfully against any everybody in the league, I understand why they thought it would work. So at some point, though, you have to stop banging your head against the wall, and that point was week six. So to to shorten this up, I think they, they just went a completely different direction. I also think that Jacksonville's secondary is not their strength. So th- they, they knew probably what they were dealing with there. So it was a good game plan, and the only question was going to be could they could they give the quarterback time and could the wide receivers and tight ends come through, and both of those things happen. Right, and I, part of it, part of the reason I wonder if it was more of a game plan, Jonathan Taylor kind of questionable all week, sort of a game time decision, so is this something that you decide in the final moments before Sunday? That seems unlikely to me, plus coming off a Thursday game, you have extra time to really look at what's not working and try to figure things out. So it's interesting to see the Colts come out with what was the the league's highest no huddle rate of the season in this game. Ryan's fastest time from the snap to the throw, um, a league high pass play rate in the neutral game script moments of the game and no sacks allowed. So it does seem like they're trying to mitigate what is, you know, some problems on the offensive line. What do you think about these moves? Is this something we're going to see continue for the rest of the season? The no huddle, the the ball out of his hands quickly. What's crazy to me, Matt Ryan threw 58 passes. I think 45 of those attempts were within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So it's almost like they're using that passing game as an extension of a run game that wasn't working very well. Is this something we can, we'll probably expect to see again versus Tennessee? So I, I think that you will at least see it in – in some capacity, in at some level, it just makes too much sense. And it, it, I say that also because, not just because it worked, but also because it's very clear this this offense is is basically built on rhythm, and always has been. And and I think Matt Ryan is good in that 
in that situation as well. He proved that I thought on Sunday that he's really good in a in a rhythm situation. I think that's why if you look at Matt Ryan's best moments this year, and granted he's had some really poor moments, right? Lots of them. But his best moments this season have been in the fourth quarter. And what's happened in the fourth quarter? They've had to get after it because they've been behind a lot. And he has shined to his credit. And I know it's been overshadowed, but those have been his best moments. And he's got three come-from-behind wins, three game-winning drives. I know the games have been so ugly that it's it's hard to focus on that for people. And I understand it. But I also can't ignore that. You know, there's something there. So I think it all strongly indicates that there is something there that they can tap into and to getting into a rhythm and going a little faster. You don't have to go super, super fast. I think that's also a misnomer. I think that you can go no huddle, but still take your time, you know, at the line of scrimmage and 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 give your guys a chance to breathe. Michael Pittman Jr. was telling me after the game on Sunday that he was exhausted at times. So I think you you have to be judicious about it, and and you can't do it over the course of 17 weeks at that extent, right? No, everybody understands that. But I do think they found something, and I don't. I think no matter what happens with the personnel this week, Hines Taylor, I still think you have to deploy it on some level, just because it's just. It's taken the heat off their offensive line, which has been embattled, and it it really did, I think, uh, work to the the advantage of the passing game, which they and you need it. You have to throw the football. The the last thing I'll say, you mentioned those passes being within ten yards of the line of scrimmage. That was also, I think, something I always expected from this offense, and and I think Matt Ryan sitting in the pocket longer and trying to throw intermediate passes the last few weeks, that wasn't what I necessarily expected. I expected them to get rid of the ball quickly and let the playmakers make the plays. But that hadn't been happening. I think they're getting back to what they kind of intended to do originally. And, and, and Graver, I don't have a question about this, but per se, but Graver, you'll know what I mean. And of course, Stephen covering these games for so long, I feel like Frank Reich's had a lot of success with those that quick passing game against the Titans in recent years, right? He's he's killed them with those crossers. You saw Michael Pittman's uh, heat map or route map uh, on Sunday. It just looked like he ran 70 crossers, right, throughout the uh, course of four quarters. And, uh, and also credit that O-line, 58 dropbacks to give up no sacks, um, that's a pretty good Jacksonville defensive front, an underrated one, right? That's been getting some production, has been getting some love for the way they, they shut down the Chargers a couple of weeks ago and some of their other impressive victories. Uh, a name, Stephen, that's really well-known in Tennessee is Dennis Kelly, right? Former Tennessee Titan, was there for several years, rotational guy, eventually started at right tackle. Uh, he got into the mix this past weekend, right? In a rotation, I believe it was, with Bernard Raymond, um, the rookie left tackle out of Central Michigan. It seems like Kelly may be starting going forward. I mean, wait, we'll wait and see, I guess. But uh, that was a rotation. And the Colts released a depth chart that had Kelly as the starting left tackle. Uh, it would make sense. Bit of a revenge game for Dennis Kelly. He felt kind of hard done, I think, when the Titans released him. Do you see him starting at left tackle this Sunday? I kind of do. I, I, I th- The only trepidation I have in saying that emphatically is that they have been wanting to let Raymond kind of get in there and grow a little bit over the course of the season. And I, I understand uh, that desire to want to do that. But I also know 
at this point, you know, we're going into week seven, you have to do what you have to do. And, and it just may be a situation where this is just the better option. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. So uh, Dennis Kelly <laughs> replied to one of my colleagues tweets <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks ago, you may have seen this. And it was kind of like, uh, well, hey, ask the coaches why I'm not playing. And which, you know, we don't see very often. So of course, it got all of our attention. And when he was asked about it, to his credit, he didn't, you know, back down from it. He said, no, you know, I came here to play. So he's very confident in his ability. And and I think the, the Colts intended last week to really deploy a, a rotation, and as you pointed out, with Raymond and, and Kelly. And what happened is they put Kelly in the game, the offense got rolling, and then it became a matter of like, all right, it's not broke, don't fix it. So they just left him in there. And and I got to say, it's the most consistent left tackle play I've seen all season, by far. Uh, Raymond had some good moments in week six where he played the whole game, but he also had some really bad snaps as well. Bradley Chubb uh, got him with an inside move, caused a sack fumble. That was a huge play. So it just didn't have any of those moments with with uh, Dennis Kelly. And I think it's just really hard for the – it would be really hard for the coaches – to you know, go with a rotation and then potentially see Ryman have a bad snap and then have to explain that, right? I mean, that would be that that just that, no one wants to be in that situation. So I think they have something here, and I think they should latch on to it. So good for him, you know, in, in his later years, uh, you know, getting an opportunity and making the most of it. Yeah, and I think no one should be shocked, as you said, by Raymond's sl- uh, slow start, so to speak. Right, former uh, Vienna Vikings legend Bernard <laughs> Raymond, that is. So, uh, of course, it was going to take some time to get acclimated here. Um, the Colts will obviously be thrilled to have claimed this victory, uh, especially after losing that first one to Jacksonville earlier in the year. Kind of exercise that demon a little bit. Uh, but if there's one thing they'll focus on throughout the week, an area of improvement. Uh, Jacksonville torched them on the ground a little bit, right? Rushed for 220 plus yards, three touchdowns, uh, struggled to tackle. I thought the Colts defense did gave up several big plays in the running game, including a 61 yard touchdown, uh, to Jermichael hasty, right? No one certainly expect that has to be a little concerning entering this game, knowing that Derrick Henry has had a lot of success against them, um, throughout the years and, and just a few weeks ago as well. So does this sort of feel like a Derrick Henry game for the Titans again? I mean, if I'm the Titans, I'm going to test them. I, I want to see you make the tackles, and I want to see you get them on the ground. I, I mean, why wouldn't they? That's, you're going to go with what you think works from a matchup standpoint, and and that has been a good matchup for them. It was a good matchup a few weeks ago for them. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. Now, that being said, the Colts have been really consistent on in their rushing defense this year, which is why what I saw on Sunday was so surprising. So I think there's a couple of things happening. Number one, you mentioned it already. There were some missed tackles. They usually are a pretty sound tackling team. Now, you might beat them. They might have a big run here and there or allow a big run from time to time, but the tackling generally is pretty good. So I I, I think that's a, a one-off, I, I guess. I don't know, but I'm going to assume that's a one-off. Uh, the other thing that I saw that this just can't happen is just, uh, I think, a lack of execution. And you know, there was a play in particular, the longest run of the game, where the the offensive line or the offensive formation, I should say, shifts to the right side, and the defense doesn't react, 
Hmm. And it ends up being a 60 yard touchdown. And it's, it's like, that's so preventable. You know, I, I just <laughs> yeah. think it's really just basic stuff that uh, at the NFL level that, that shouldn't be happening. And so I, I trust them. And Gus Bradley, their defense coordinator said this today. He said, we will spend a lot of time this week tightening up uh, those kinds of mistakes that they had on Sunday. So they're going to buckle the chin straps and we'll see what happens. I think I think uh, they're going to get after it and uh, it's going to be a good battle on the ground. To their credit, I think one of the reasons they came out with the win was that the run defense did tighten up in the fourth quarter and they started getting stops when they needed to. And, you know, Titans fans will hope that won't continue on Sunday, but obviously the Colts will try to pick up where they left off at the end of that game. Um, flipping back to the offensive side of the ball, Seems like there's some newfound positivity surrounding the young group of the Colts' weapons. Seen some of some of your colleagues' tweets about it this past week, and just the excitement around guys like Alec Pierce, Jelani Woods, Michael Pittman putting up career highs in receptions and receiving yards last week. But then you look at you know the overall numbers, and the Colts still sit at the 27th ranked scoring offense in the league. This was their highest scoring output of the season last week against Jacksonville. So I'm curious if you can talk through some of the reasons for the renewed optimism with this offense, um, seeing the the guys making plays, but still the results not exactly where you'd want them to be. Yeah, so my view of it is that a lot of their offensive futility has been based on a couple of issues. We already talked about the pass protection. Clearly, that's been a problem. The other one, though, is turnovers. And mm -hmm. I think what happens is when you turn the ball over, this is not breaking news, but when you turn the ball over, you know, the, the result is you just, you don't, you're not able to possess the ball. You know, your short changes your possessions. Uh, it, it cuts down your time of possession, your opportunities, all of that, right? So that's why you see the scoring where it is. On the other end, on the other end, I should say, you see Matt Ryan uh, among the passing leaders in the NFL. It doesn't make sense, right? How right. do you have this terrible offense that that can't score? And the quarterback, uh, I, I believe, going into last night's games, I, I don't know if it's changed at all, but he was second in the league in passing yards. And, and I get that passing yards are not a very effective measure of your offense, but it just goes to show you, okay, something doesn't add up here, right? So what I'm saying is this. Those passing yards were 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 a function of throwing to these young receivers and tight ends that we're talking about. Uh, the problem was it was happening only in in spots and it wasn't resulting in points because of turnovers. And a lot of those turnovers were Matt Ryan to his uh, or to in, in full disclosure, right? A lot of them were on him. Be that as it may, I think Sunday against Jacksonville was the first time we saw those guys all contribute in a collective manner the way they did. And I think it was the next step. It's not the final step by no means, <laughs> but it was the next step. I think we saw it in, 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 excuse me, in Houston. We saw a big game from some of those guys. We've seen it in, against Kansas city at times, Jelani Woods uh, with a couple of touchdowns there. So I think we're starting to see steps. The one thing I would say is I, I see, consistent progress and that's what i've wanted to see it doesn't mean they're going to be pro bowlers this year but that's not the goal anyway the goal is progress and i'll give you a great example uh, alec pierce is i think the best example of this uh, he was and he explained this to me he was really caught up in execution and the playbook and trying to be perfect he said the first few weeks and you can imagine how how burdensome that would be for a rookie and 
And I think, you know, you're trying to be perfect. And that's just not how you play football, you know? Right. And he said he's just been kind of playing unburdened the last couple of weeks. I see a difference. I see a guy in the fourth quarter in Denver, as ugly as that game was, who said, I want the football. Give me the football. And he went and made tough plays. And then this week, same thing. He's he's working in the middle of the field, which is not something I thought he could do consistently. He is doing that. And then we know outside the numbers, he has that above the rim potential that he's displayed uh, ever since college. So he's he's running the route tree and he's doing it. And he's playing with more confidence and I love what I see from him. So he's got to keep it going, though. That's the hard part. Now they know you're capable of it. Now, are you going to be able to continue? Yeah, exactly. That's the the challenge for young players. Uh, Steven, we really want to thank you for your time. We're going to wrap up here with one final question. Titans enter this game on a three-game win streak. Colts haven't lost since they last played the Titans, entering on a two-game win streak. Huge battle for whoever wins this game will be currently in first in the AFC South. How do you see this game unfolding, sort of the game flow prediction that you might have and maybe a final score if you're up for it? Yeah, so what I like about the way the Colts are playing right now, uh, certainly their, their rushing defense has to answer some questions, but if they can get some stops in the rush in the running game, if they can get some stops and create some third downs, that's where they're really, I think, you know, making some progress. Their, their pass rush... This looks pretty good right now. And that's what could he pay being hurt. And I don't know that he'll be back for this game even. So I'm not counting on that. But but they have they have created a lot of pressure on quarterbacks uh, the last couple of weeks. And I think they have a chance to continue doing that. If you can do that now, you really put the pressure on Tannehill, you know, to come through. And and I, I think they have the ability to to step up and and make make some make things hard on him on third downs and look i am not saying that this offense has has proven itself yet okay they they took it's one game but i do think they've figured something out i never thought this offense was anything close to what we have seen the last few weeks they just had to figure out a path and maybe they have so i think they're onto something and I sense something I haven't sensed the last few weeks. So I'm giving the Colts a slight edge. It's a tough – I don't feel great about it, okay? I'm going to be honest. I don't feel great about it. I think it's a pick em game. Uh, but I'll go with the Colts a slight edge just because I think they have the playmakers that are emerging and they have maybe figured out how to get them involved and, and get some production out of them. And the workable offensive line, I think, is the absolute biggest factor in this too. Um we're seeing Matt Ryan do Matt Ryan things, which wasn't possible before. So uh, right. score, uh, I, I don't see it as a super high scoring game. Uh, I think the defenses are going to be a big factor in this game. I, I think it's close, maybe like a 23-20 uh, a, a kind of game, uh, but I'll go Colts. Nice. Yeah, I think the Colts, something we see from them every year is they get better as the year goes on. Slow starts are not a new thing for, for Frank Reich's Colts, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll see how this game goes. Thanks a lot, Stephen. We really appreciate your time and insight. All right, you got it. Anytime. All right, thanks again to Stephen Holder. We really appreciate his time and his insight into this Colts team. We're going to cover a few things we didn't get to with him. As I mentioned earlier, my first question for you, Justin. Are the Titans going to make a change at left tackle for this game? I think they might. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think I'm going to predict that they're going to. Um, 
just kind of uh, it's a it's a it's an approximation sort of a guess on my end because if you read some of the things that are out there, they asked Mike Vrabel about it. He, you know, he said they were looking at some things and maybe experimenting and figuring out um, what they plan to do on the offensive line. Players that deserve more playing time, I think, was the quote. Mike Vrabel gave certainly a bit of a coach speak answer, uh, not necessarily saying players that er- earn less playing time, but players who right. earn more playing time. And then you look at the Jim Wyatt mailbag, always some good nuggets in there. Um, he talked about them potentially making a change. They didn't think it would include Dylan Radence, uh, unfortunately, but that does not surprise me as I think you and I discussed um, recently. I also wrote an article on this and I said, I actually called LaRaven Clark the likeliest candidate. Uh, in that article about a week ago, I'm sticking by that. I mean, he's an offensive tackle who was a third round pick uh, by the Colts, funny enough. So he knows right. this team really well. That's an underrated factor that might play a role here. Obviously, he didn't live up to expectations, right? Anytime you get a guy with a top 100 selection, you want him to turn out to be a pretty good player. LaRaven Clark wasn't that for the Colts. He's bounced around the league a little bit. Titans just signed him off a of practice squad, what, maybe about three weeks ago now? So I feel like, that you know, throughout that time, he's been acclimating to the offense. He's been acclimating to the coaching staff. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm going to predict that they're going to go ahead and make a change here. And we're going to see LaRaven Clark at left tackle. I fully expect that as well. And if you had asked me, you know, before the, I saw Jim Watt's mailbag, I would have said, uh, I think we'll see Dylan Radins here. But Jim's usually on it with these things. And he's him saying that he doesn't think Dylan's is ready to contribute is an interesting little nugget. We'll see if that ends up being accurate. You know, it's not like he's in the meetings with Mike Vrabel and Keith Carter and everybody, but I think you're going to be right here. I think it's going to be LaRaven Clark. So how do you think the Titans attack this Colts defense? And how do you think this Titans defense attacks the Colts offense? Because these teams just played a few weeks ago. Titans have only played one game since their last matchup with the Colts. I think that, you know, the, the Titans got kind of torched on these crossing routes, especially in the red zone. Mo Alley-Cox, I said it on the recap episode, basically scored a touchdown on the same play. Um, two touchdowns, I mean, on the same play. And we saw last week that the Colts, basically anytime they had the Jaguars in man defense, they ran these crossing patterns, and they got guys like chasing players all the way across the width of the field. You got safeties like coming down to fill, getting run into, getting trying to run through traffic as the Colts have these little bunch formations with guys running the opposite direction and creating so much confusion and congestion over the middle that it's almost impossible for man defense to run with these receivers and tight ends. How did the Titans change things? Because whenever the Jaguars were in zone coverage and the Colts tried these crossing patterns, it felt like they you know, were caught for a short gain and a quick tackle made because you got defenders there to cover the space. You don't have guys running with men. My prediction, I think we see a lot of zone from this Titans team. I think the Titans want to play more man coverage, but the way that the Colts offense operates they want to run these crossing routes they want to and and don't get me wrong you know against zone coverage matt ryan can pick you apart if he has time but will he have time that's a big thing he's gonna get the ball out of his hands quickly he's gonna have short passes a lot of short passes we're gonna see in this game which are gonna set up a lot of probably second and third and shorts but if the titans can execute on those money downs i think this could be an uh another win for the titans I think it should be a win for the Titans. They're favored by three points at home against a team they've already beat. But you never know in the NFL. Things can get dicey. Uh, How do you see this game going? Yeah, a couple of things I want to point out what you just talked about. I think the Titans, in theory, love to play man coverage. 
I don't feel that they think they have the personnel to do it with the consistency right now that they desire to. And I also think when you're, uh, you know, I, uh, analyzing the matchup, you're right. That zone coverage, uh, a zone coverage approach is probably going to be a better fit overall. One thing I would like to see happen uh, we didn't see it early in the year, but we've seen it recently a bit more, and you'll know what I mean, is Kristen Fulton following the best receiver um, on the opposing team, right? Because he didn't do it early in the year, and I think Mike Vrabel faced some questions about that uh, early on. Uh, and then he did it against Washington quite a bit, right? To my knowledge, he, he was on Terry McLaurin quite a lot in that game, and McLaurin didn't have a very good game, right? They essentially eliminated him from the game plan. Now, Diami Brown picked up the slack and did everything, uh, as he as he was up against guys like Caleb Farley, but uh, but they did a good job taking away Washington's best receiver, right? Right. I would like to see a repeat of that and 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 let Christian Fulton go man to man play uh, against Michael Pittman with some frequency. He's had success against Pittman throughout his career, and I think he's a good match. I think he's a he's a stickier uh, corner. He's a speedier guy, quick foot. I think he's he's got the I think he's got the advantage in transition. On a guy like Pittman, I think he's got quicker feet. I think he's got cleaner mechanics. So I would really like to see Fulton get a chance to take Pittman out of this game plan. Um, regarding the offensive line, how you attack them, you know, with all, of course, due respect to our guest, Stephen Holder, and, and talking about the offensive line, they'd figure something out. I think you still got to really like the Titans in this matchup, right? Like Matt Pryor was still a disaster at right guard. You have to think that Jeffrey Simmons is licking his chops. Uh, yeah. For a chance to go up against Matt Pryor once again, even guys like Dina Kowatri, whether he's rushing on the edge uh, or in the interior, has to like his chances. Probably overpowering a guy like Dennis Kelly, uh, right tackle, I think was Braden Smith again, right uh, last yeah. time. So I, I like Braden Smith, but they've moved him to guard too this year, right? Like they've shuffled so many things around. Um, you get Bud Dupree back in this game. I think Bud Dupree, uh, if he's healthy and ready to go, a good matchup against Dennis Kelly, potentially a good matchup against uh, Braden, uh, Braden Smith as well. And I like Rashad Weaver, right, against both those tackles as well. So um, I think this Titans pass rush should be able to apply a ton of pressure. And I don't think Matt Ryan uh, will be dropping back on 58 occasions with zero sacks in this one. Right. And, you know, you mentioned Christian Fulton there. I think he did kind of start following the other team's number one receiver in the matchup with the Colts in week four. Um, so will we see that again? I hope so. In that game, uh, Michael Pittman was targeted six times. He had three catches for 31 yards. Matt Ryan threw it 37 times. So, you know, we saw in this past week with the Colts against Jacksonville, Matt Ryan throwing 58 times and Michael Pittman coming away with 16 targets, 13 catches, a career high for him. To only have six targets on 37 dropbacks for Matt Ryan, to only have three catches for 31 yards, it's obviously a well-done job by the Titans' defense, even though they still allowed Matt Ryan to throw for 356 yards in that game. They did take Michael Pittman pretty much out of the out of the equation. So they were also playing from behind, right? A lot in that second half, and they did mount a comeback. In all honesty, you shouldn't give the Titans a lot of credit, but it does help sort of make up some of the numbers there on the passing yards and the attempts against the Titans last time out. So you'll, you'll, we'll be interested to see Alec Pierce matched up probably with a lot of Roger McCreary there. Alec Pierce had four catches for 80 yards in that game. He was their second leading receiver behind freaking Mo Alley Cox, who had six catches for 85 yards and two touchdowns. Real quick quiz, Justin. How many yards and touchdowns does Mo Alley Cox have on the season? 
I'll tell you. He has 11 catches on the season for 136 yards and two touchdowns. So he had 85 of his 136 yards and six of his 11 catches against for the whole season. And both week, of his touchdowns. And both of his touchdowns <laughs> in week four against the Titans. Can they do something different to not allow him to be wide open in the flat and run into the end zone on two plays that look identical, super with no resistance by the defense? <laughs> That'll be a big, big question for the Titans in this one. Well, they're going to try to have to, and a bit of unrelated topic, but I'm curious to see who plays the nickel in this game, right? Because Elijah Molden's not going to be back for the Titans uh, on Sunday. They've essentially confirmed uh, that he's not coming back off IR this week. He was seen in the locker room earlier uh, this week, so it indicates he's nearing a return to practice and hopefully a return to play. Uh, Ugo, Ugo Amadi surprisingly was a healthy scratch against Washington. That's not something I expected uh, based on how Caleb Farley and Terrence Mitchell had been playing. Um, but for whatever reason, they decided to roll those guys out there and utilize Roger McCreary in the nickel, um, you know, when they're mat- when they're matching personnel, right, with the opposition. So that'll be interesting to me to see if, A, is Ugo Amadi a healthy scratch again, and does that mean that it's Roger McCreary at the nickel with Terrence Mitchell and Caleb Farley against a guy like Alec Pierce, who uh, loves to run vertical routes. Yeah, and one last note on this game. We'll know a lot more as we really get into the weekend here, but... Titans hope to get Amani Hooker and Zach Cunningham back. You mentioned Bud Dupree already. Probably won't see Elijah Molden, but at least getting some of those starters back. I mean, you're looking at three potential starters returning in this game for the Titans defense. That could be huge, at least for communication, for allowing Kevin Byer to be, you know, a guy who doesn't have to cover up for all the secondary mistakes. I was watching the Mike Herndon show, which everyone should tune into. If you got a Broadway insider pass, you can get the full show. But even without it, you can still watch the film breakdowns at broadwaysportsmedia.com, showing how Caleb Farley you know, in the snaps that he was playing, didn't really always know what he was supposed to be doing when he has a cover three responsibility and he's coming up to take away a, a intermediate route. And then Kevin Byard has to make up for his mistake by trying to get over to that side of the field. You hope that with Amani Hooker back, that with, I guess, you know, we'll see who plays the nickel, but with McCreary playing on the outside, that it allows Kevin Byard to not have to like worry so much about covering up for his teammates' mistakes and allow him to go make plays in the back end. That's what I would hope to see. I think, you know, with, with every game, oh, go ahead. No, you talked about Caleb Farley not knowing um, what he's doing, uh, what he was doing in cover three. An example of why that's such a concerning trend um, for the Titans teams are, uh, this is a tweet by Brett Coleman, by the way, if you don't, if you don't follow Brett Coleman, you should uh, teams are running cover three more than ever right now. This year uh, defenses are running it on 30.2% of their defensive snaps. I believe that's an all time high in the NFL for cover three last year. It's only up about half a percent from last year's 29.8, but for context purposes in 2018, it was 18%. So it's jumped 12% from 18% to 30% in 2018 to 2022. So teams are leaning on cover three heavily this year. And if Caleb Farley, and it's a copycat league, right, as we all know. And if Caleb Farley can't um, understand his assignments and, and learn how to execute uh, his, his match in cover three, then uh, that's very troublesome for him and his chances of seeing the field. Right, and I think this is a situation we're probably not going to see a lot of Caleb Farley again this year unless the Titans get some more injuries to the cornerback position and maybe in the offseason, hopefully he can, you know, start putting it together again. Last thing about this game, you you can say this about any football game that ever is played, but turnovers will likely play a huge role here. Titans were able to force some turnovers last time they played the Colts. You had Bud Dupree knocking the ball out or jumping on a fumble. Somebody forced a fumble from Matt Matt Ryan, and maybe it was Autry. or I don't remember exactly. I think Autry forced it and Bud Dupree recovered it. 
Right. So you you can hope that you know. And Joe Schobert for yeah. fumble in the th- right lane. Oh, third that's war, right, Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor, Taylor. Red, near the red zone. Um. Yeah. So you know the the we mentioned it with Stephen Holder the. Matt Ryan dropping back 58 times in the Colts offensive line, not allowing a single sack. I watched that entire game. I covered that game for the Around the NFL podcast this past weekend. So I was very tuned into that game. And the Jaguars were not getting pressure with a four-man rush against this Colts offensive line, which you can't really say about many teams facing this Colts offensive line this season. And throughout the game, the Jaguars started bringing more pressure, more blitzes to try and get some pressure on Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was really good against pressure. If you look at the advanced next-gen stats numbers there, um, I don't have them right in front of me, but just trust me, he was really good against pressure (laughs) in that game. And um, the Jaguars struggled to get a pass rush going when they didn't blitz. And the couple times they got to Matt Ryan, they had Trayvon Walker smacking him in the face mask and uh, getting rough in the passer penalties that really benefited that Colts team. So my point is you get pressure on Matt Ryan and force him into some of the mistakes that he was making earlier this season that he didn't make last week. And I think that is a recipe for this Titan success because on offense, it's going to be about controlling the ball and not, you know, doing whatever you can, I guess, to mitigate what is still not a good pass protecting offensive line for the Titans. And Titans fans might not love to hear me say this, or they might. I, I, you never know, really. But <laughs> I think you've got to be a little stubborn to try to make this a Derrick Henry game. Like, I don't think this has to be a secret. Um, I don't think you need to wow the Colts with what you're doing. Um, Derrick Henry's had a lot of success against them, a lot. Like, even what Stephen Holder said, they've been really good against the run. Look up their history against the Titans. They have not been good against the Titans. They've been good against everyone else. Holder, our guest, is correct. But that hasn't been against Titans. Derrick Henry's had so much success against them. You got to try to make this a Derrick Henry game. He had a lot of success against them a few weeks ago. It's not a secret. We saw how, I mean, when you're allowing Jermichael Hasty to go for 61-yard touchdowns and Jacksonville, they had three rushers with more than 50 rushing yards, right? James Robinson, yeah. Travis Etienne, and Jermichael Hasty, of course, that one rush. ETN bursted through the run in the first half, bursted through the line in the first half on a run that Derrick Henry scores on every single time. Like, yes. I don't even know how he got caught from run. behind. He, and he even said after the game, I got a score on that one. And I honestly, like, was watching it with ETN on my fantasy team, like, go, 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 and somehow got <laughs> caught from behind. Like, what? Like, uh, but Derrick Henry would score on that play. And it was like a 48 yard run, and it's their second longest run of the day, right? Because then they right. get a 61 yard touchdown later in the game. So this is no secret. You got to go out there and challenge them. And look, maybe the Colts answer the bell. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if they do, in all honesty, right? Uh, you start When you've been a fan of the NFL long enough, you start to see a pattern emerge, right? I do worry that they'll answer the bell because they were so bad against the run this past week. It's going to be a huge point of emphasis. They know who they're up against. They want to come out and prove that was a one-off, yada, yada. At the end of the day, you still have to make them do it, right? Because this offensive line has been more physical. I'll give them credit. And, and run blocking, they have found some success lately. You got to try riding Derrick Henry in this game. Totally agree. Do you want to close this thing out with a score prediction? Yes, I am. I'm going to go with the Titans. Me too. I'm going to go. It's funny. I'm actually going to go with the same score our guest Stephen Holder went with. I'm going to go 23-20 Titans. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be very similar to the last game they played. I think it'll be very similar to every game the Titans have played this year, minus the Bills game, essentially. Um, I'm going with the Titans, but I'm not going to lie to you. I'm I'm really scared of this game. It just it feels like they're due for a letdown. It feels like them and the Colts can split. 
you know, the season series to me. And I know Science have had a lot of success lately. They've won a ton of games against the Colts in recent years. But I feel like these iterations of the teams could split this season series. You won in Indianapolis. You should come home and win this one. The Colts will be fired up for payback and try and, and try to win on the road as the Titans did a few weeks ago. So I'm going with the Titans, but I'm not going to lie. I'm super hesitant. Yeah, I can understand your hesitancy to, to – I mean, this would feel like a letdown game, except that Mike Vrabel's pretty good coming off a bye. He's been good coming off a bye since he got to Tennessee as the head coach here. I actually think this is going to look like that Titans-Colts – second Titans-Colts game from last year. Or was it last year or was it two years ago? The Titans had a game against the Colts that was their second matchup of the season where they just dominated them. And I kind of think – this is going to be the Titans' highest scoring game of the season so far, which isn't saying a whole lot because they haven't put up, you know, what are the, is 24 points, their highest score of the year? Yes. Um, so I kind of think the Titans win this one 31-20. I think that Derrick Henry gets going. The defense forces some turnovers. And this is one where Titans fans can sit comfortably at the end. Even if, you know, the Colts have the ball with three minutes to go, making a drive down the field, it's one that it wouldn't matter if they scored or didn't score. Going 31-20 Titans in this one, four-game winning streak, commanding lead in the AFC South. I think that's what we will be discussing uh, next week on our recap podcast. I sure hope you're right, right? That would improve the Titans to 4-2, and a four-game winning streak heading into another winnable game um, against the Houston Texans the following week. And as you said, we'll be back to recap uh, this Colts game and then a second episode to preview that Texans game. That's right. So before we sign off, one last thing to remind you all about, besides the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden East Nashville, thanks to them for presenting us with this podcast, we also have to remind you to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com and especially the Insider Pass. Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You can use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just 99 cents or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F words pod uh, it's coming from easton there's a lot of content coming your way if you're a broadway insider become an insider today you won't regret it and of course all the great podcasts that broadway has to offer that'll do it for this episode you know you can follow justin on twitter at justin m underscore nfl i am at titans film room until next week you guys stay safe out there and tighten up a broadway sports media production